welcome to the Extra Innings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm your host, Ryan Divish, Mariners beat writer, your captain through this little foray into baseball, Mariners, and whatever else we feel like talking about. I really got to come up with like kind of a catchier, you know, lead in than just greetings. But until then, we'll kind of go with what we know. Um, originally, it's I, I'm recording this right now. It's Tuesday, January 10th. The original plan was to record on Friday. Um, and basically what it, I'd done is solicited a bunch of questions on Twitter, um, just a little Twitter mailbag that I would answer questions because I didn't really have anything pressing to talk about. And then Jerry DePoto, being the gift giver that he is, decided he would make not one but two trades on Friday afternoon, uh, which kind of shelved uh, the podcast. Really, there was no reason to until we, you know, got through all of that, and then I would, we would obviously discuss the moves for the upcoming podcast. So I uh, decided to wait on the podcast, and the reason we're doing it now, Larry Stone um, is writing a column with his thoughts on the trade. So later in the show, Larry and I will kind of go through the two, tr- the two trades and what we like and we disliked about them. For those of you who don't know this, which I'd be surprised if you're listening to this and didn't know, the Mariners traded... Um, traded veteran left-handed hitting outfielder Seth Smith to the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for veteran right-handed pitcher Giovanni Gallardo. Uh, and that was a, the first move, and it came uh, Friday morning. And then later in the afternoon, with, with uh, Gallardo on the staff, they traded Nathan, the Mariners decided to trade Nathan Carnes to the Royals in exchange for uh, speedy outfielder Gerard Dyson. So you've got basically two moves that netted the Mariners a pitcher and an outfielder, and they gave up a pitcher and an outfielder. So while you look at kind of Smith for Gallardo and, and Carnes for Dyson, you could essentially also just say it's Smith for Dyson, Carnes for Gallardo. So we will discuss that later in the show. Uh, but since people took the time to send in questions uh, to me on Twitter, uh, some of them about baseball, some of them not, um, I figured I would still answer them, and we'll do that segment first. Then we'll have the, the Larry and I discussing the trades. We'll also still do spelling with Stoney. Maybe we'll ask him to spell Giovanni Gallardo. I wonder if he actually figured out how to spell it. Um, but all right, here we'll get into the show. be kind of fun I kind of like this whole aspect when I go do some speaking stuff that's kind of what I always just say to do is just ask questions and I'll answer it instead of getting up and making some big rambling speech Uh, our first question comes from David Pearl uh, who is a frequent Twitter um, guy that I kind of interact with really smart guy he asks do you get the sense that there was ever anything to the Trumbull M's rumors or was it just agent market manipulation well the rumors really came from uh, from Jim Bowden and, and ESPN, and he kind of threw it out there that they were close, and that was never the case. Uh, and that may have come from the agent. But we did talk with Jerry DePoto, who said that he met with Mark Trumbo and his agent at the winter meetings. Why? Because he wanted to kind of find out what the market was like for Mark Trumbo. I don't think they had any intention of signing Mark Trumbo. I mean, Jerry is a guy who's traded Mark Trumbo twice, I remember when I, when I talked with Mark Trumbo in Baltimore about being traded, he pointed out that he just isn't one of Jerry's guys in terms of the types of players he looks for, and he understood that. You know, He understands that he doesn't get on base. He understands that he strikes out a little bit too much, <coughs> and he also understands that he, he has some uh, issues defensively. So I think really when we talked with DePoto about it, it was just the idea of, of meeting with the free agent to understand what his market was like, what other teams – uh, might be hearing from him so they could make other moves. Like, like Jerry said, it was just trying to be smart and understanding the market. So if you're, if you're looking at a team, uh, like when the Mariners, they were looking to try and acquire a pitcher, and they're, they're, at, um, they're, they're trying to acquire a pitcher, so they, they check to see 
um, who they might be able to get. And, and if that team is also looking at Mark Trumbo, then they have an idea of maybe what the money Trumbo is looking for. Can you help with money? All those kinds of things. So that's really what they kind of wanted to do with that. So that's, that's really what the reason comes from. Um, next question comes from David Pearl again. Has Felix talked about any changes or adjustments he might be working on for next year? If not, what's your outlook for him? Uh, Felix, you know, he kind of disappeared. He went on vacation in Africa. I think he went for a safari. Then he, then he went down and he was working out in Miami with a guy named Iron Glenn who works out with Nelson Cruz. Uh, we saw some of the videos I posted on Twitter. Um, they looked unenjoyable. Uh, and then Felix went down and pitched one, basically two games, six total innings in the, the Venezuelan Winter League and called it good. Uh, I don't know what changes he's going to make. They're all up to him. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he completely understands how difficult it is when you've gotten to be his age that things have to be different. You have to work a little harder. You have to adjust everything you do because – You've thrown that many innings, you're over age 30, it's just a little bit more difficult than before. Um, I do think that how poorly he pitched last year bothered him to the point where, you know, he is going to try and do some different things. This is one of the reasons why the Mariners let him pitch in the WBC is because they just said, well, look, whatever it takes for him to get going a little bit sooner, if this is going to motivate him to work out a little bit more in the offseason, that's, that's great, we'll do it. I, I, I don't think that Felix is – uh, like sedentary, I don't think he's pulling a Jesus Montero and gaining 40 pounds in an offseason, but I think that he just needs to do more. Robinson Cano is the best example I can think of. That guy, because he had the surgery, he decided he felt like he needed to work out a little bit more um, to come back, to re-strengthen himself, and it really paid off. He really credited the, the extra work that he put in the offseason in the spring to to really being the key for his turnaround season. Uh, you know, on a side note, when Robinson Cano was working out two times a day down in, in Peoria during spring, he would do the morning workouts and lifting with his strength coaches uh, there. But then later at night, he would be at the L.A. Fitness, kind of by where I stay at in Peoria, working out with his, his half-brother and a couple other people and his private trainer. So he was working out in the morning, and then I would see him at night lifting and working out very hard at night at an L.A. fitness, which was even more odd because, like, none of these bros from Arizona actually knew who he was. Here's Robinson Cano walking around with a Robinson Cano hat with his logo, and nobody really knew who he was. So uh, I do think that Felix has learned from that. He talked with Cano. He talked with Nelson Cruz about some of this stuff. So hopefully that is something he'll embrace because if he doesn't, I think you're going to see continued regression. If he does, you can fight father time with work. You can fight father time with, with preparation, work, all these different adjustments. It just isn't going to be as easy as it once was for him. All right, our next question comes from Andy Robinette. What do you think about the month of August this year? All those road trips look brutal. Andy, I think the month of August sucks, to be honest. I think that's a reason why I am single and not married. Okay, well, there's other reasons, but... Basically, the month of August is not exactly ideal for the Mariners. In total, I'm looking at the schedule now. They have oh, one, two, they have seven home games, and that's it. Seven home games in the entire month. And with the way the off days are set up, they probably have one off day in the month of August that is in Seattle. They'll have four off days total, but no, it's not ideal for the team. Uh, nobody cares about my travel issues, but for the team itself, if you were in uh, the wild card or the playoff race or whatever, and you get to a month where you're playing that many road games uh, and that many straight, it's just not ideal. Uh, quickly looking at it, you can hear me. Yes, I have a planner. It's the old school style, but you can hear me. They start on July 31st at the Rangers, which is a Monday. They play three there. Uh, then they go to Kansas City on August 3rd for a four-game series, off day in the Bay Area, and then a two-game series, one of those weird little two-gamers in Oakland, scenic Oakland. Come home, and they have their only homestand of the month. Three or four games against the Angels starting on Thursday night, 
and then three against the Orioles. The 17th of August is a Thursday. That's an off day. They'll fly to Tampa on that off day. Most likely they probably actually will fly out um, after the game on the 16th, which is a day game against the Orioles, spend the off day in Tampa, and then the 18th, 19th, and 20th, which is a weekend series at Scenic Tropicana Field and Mall. Uh, from there, they'll go up north to Atlanta to try out the new stadium. I think it's called Suncoast Trust Stadium or something. I don't know. It's better than Turner Field. That's all I know because Turner Field, there's a pretty good chance you could get mugged outside of there at night. Uh, they'll have an off day in New York City when they go up on the 24th, and then they'll play a weekend series the 25th, 26th, 27th at the Yankees, and then wrap up the road trip with three games at Camden Yards, come home on the 31st for an off day. So that's your month of August. Um, Scott Service, when I talked to him a little bit at the uh, winter meetings, he was not pleased about that month. He's very concerned about how they handle it. Uh, just, you know, road trips are hard. Uh, we saw last year at times where there were a couple brutal road trips where their pitchers just didn't do it. Their starting pitchers just didn't do a good, a, do a good job of getting deep into games. Uh, I believe it was the um, Tampa, Boston, Detroit one, which was just abysmal. Uh, and they, you know, guys were getting four inning starts. Bullpen was getting abused. Mariners were losing games. It just wasn't good. So that month of August will be something to watch. Depending on where the Mariners are at, uh, record-wise, standings-wise, that could really be the turning point in their season. Uh, oh, just thinking about that's nauseating. Yes, I love my job. Love it to death. But that's that's just a weird setup. And Look, the reason why it's set up this way, people think it's unfair. And it, it is a little bit on some level, but the Mariners are playing the NL East. And so they went to MLB baseball or MLB and said, look, we, we would like when we play the NL East uh, for interleague games, we would like to stay on the East Coast more and not have to have all these cross-country trips. A few years ago when they played the NL East, they had a ton of cross-country trips. Great for my mileage plan or my, my frequent flyer miles. Not good for them. They wanted to stay out East. So the MLB said, well, look, you want to stay out East? We'll do a four-city trip. Uh, I've been covering the Mariners since 2008. I think this is only the second four-city trip I've ever seen. So impressive, making some new ground. Joseph Togi asks, how do you feel about Tyler O'Neill's chances to make the major league team out of spring training? I don't feel like it's great. Really like Tyler O'Neill a lot. Love how he plays. Super intense. Never takes a playoff. When you watch the guy work out um, you know, before a game, it's just every pitch, every play, every little thing he does, there's intensity behind it. That being said, I think the Mariners would really like to start him at AAA and ease him into this transition. You know, he's a He's their, their next best prospect, their top prospect guy, um, and I don't think they want to rush it. You know, he was one of the youngest players in the Southern League last year, won the MVP. It's great. Now get up to the AAA. There's going to be a little different pitching. A ton of guys are going to pitch backwards. You're going to throw him a ton of breaking stuff, a ton of off-speed stuff, and hitters counts. How does he react? I don't think they want to force this. Now, if you look at the Mariners' outfield, you've got a lot of question marks. So if he plays well early in AAA, and one of these guys struggles, say Mitch Haniger struggles, maybe you see O'Neill then. But they aren't going to rush this kid. He's not even on the 40-man roster. He'll be invited to spring training. All eyes will be on him. But DePoto's made it clear they want to start him at AAA. If he's on the big league roster, he's played exceedingly well, and somebody's gotten hurt uh, when, it, when spring training opens. But I do think you'll see him by midseason. Mike Eisenberg asks, do the Mariners really trust Zanino as the number one catcher? Why not try for Weeder Suzuki? Not, it's not an unfair question to ask about uh, this. And it's not wrong to be skeptical of Mike Zanino. I mean, what did he really truly prove uh, this season? You know, he, he went down to AAA and he started and he came up and he had a really hot month. I mean, he really did. And then we started to see, and actually it was about six weeks, and we started to see kind of the Zanino of old, um, you know, strikeouts, you know, swinging at pitches out of the zone, really just pulling off pitches, getting away from the approach that he'd worked so hard on to get him back, himself back. And, you know, by the end of the season, he's hitting 207. He's got a 33.9% strikeout rating. I'm looking at the catchers now on fan graphs, and only Alex Avila had a higher strikeout percentage than he did. Um, 
I will say this, he got his walk rate up to 10.9%, which was good. You know, he finished with a 318 on base percentage. I think that's improved. You know, I, I do think there was a better understanding of what he's supposed to do at the plate. But he talk, talking with Scott Service, he felt like, you know, Mike just let the moment get a little big for him. You know, when the Mariners were playing meaningful games and they needed him to do something and he couldn't do it, he really got frustrated with himself and reverted some bad tendencies. I'm looking at fan graphs now. Zunino is a, a 1.2 war player. I mean, it was, you know, decent. I'm looking now Matt Weeder's 1.7 war. Uh, Kurt Suzuki, 0. 0.6 war. If you look at, at Weeder's uh, last year, he really struggled a little bit from the plate. 243, base, batting average 302 on base. And we hit the 17 bombs, but, you know, he's playing – Playing in Camden Yards, playing in the American League East, you're going to hit bombs. I mean, when when the worst hitting field in that division is probably, oh, I guess Tampa. I mean, you, you should hit with some power there. So you know, it just he just wasn't you know what you're going to have to pay to get him. I don't think is worth you know, the the investment. I think that. Zanino's better defensively at times than he is in terms of calling a game. You know, Weeders had a decent defensive rating this year, but, you know, he just wasn't kind of what you thought he'd be offensively. He never kind of was. I remember reading stories about him when he was was the prospect. They, they nicknamed him God because he was so good. Um, Kurt Suzuki had an actual worse war than than uh, than Chris Iannetta. Um, you know, you just kind of know what you're going to get with Suzuki, 258. Kind of batting average, not great on base percentage, not great pop, you know. I mean, really not a very good catcher anymore either in that regard. He's athletic behind the plate, but, you know, again, just a guy. He's just kind of a guy. I mean, and if, for what you're going to have to pay for those guys, do you really want to do that or do you want to give Zanino a chance? If he struggles, look, they've got Carlos Ruiz. Uh, Chooch can play more than just a typical backup. He'll hit lefties. He'll give you – a decent outing, and, and if it's not working then, if Zanino is that bad, then then they'll have to reassess. But I do think, you, you know, for the defensive stuff that Mike gives you, the game calling, the uh, the framing, which the Mariners are big on, uh, you know, you're going to take your chances and see what this kid is. They have to know. I mean, you probably got another year or two to really kind of figure out what Mike Zanino is. If he isn't that guy, if he never can get over the strikeouts and be a little bit more consistent, then at least you move him to a backup, but you know who he is. Uh, and you know, you've invested this much time into him. It would be kind of silly to just not kind of go with him now. All right. Go Hawks. That's Go Hawks with a couple S's on the end. Ask, will management regret the Taiwan Walker trade? It's possible. It's very possible. Look, Taiwan Walker has got a ton of potential. He really does. And we'll know in the next year or two um, if he can meet that. I think in talking with some people in the organization and talking with some opposing scouts and being around them, the biggest question is, will Taiwan Walker ever develop a viable breaking pitch that will make hitters be a little bit more honest? Right now, he's kind of a one-and-a-half pitch pitcher. And, you know, he's got the plus fastball. The, the changeup, the split change that he throws can be from good to average. You know, it's got some movement. But essentially, you know, when there were times when it's just those two pitches, teams just didn't respect that breaking ball. And and then we saw him kind of get hit when he didn't command the other two pitches. Uh, the curveball, he's got two breaking balls. The curveball, it's kind of loopy, just kind of a show-me curveball, 12-6 rotation type of deal. Um, it's okay. I mean, I, I've had a couple of scouts tell me it's a high school curveball. I think it can be better than that with the new mechanics that he's learned. The slider cutter thing that he's been messing with for a couple years now. I mean, one year it's a cutter, one year it's a slider. He, he can't really determine consistent break and how to place it. You know, I think it could be a good pitch if he ever figures it out, but right now it's just not there. And that's the separator for him. I think in talking to a lot of different people, if he develops those breaking pitches, at least one of them, to be better, to be at least something more than a show-me, you know, that, hey, I got this, you kind of have to try and maybe at least think that I have it. If he, if it gets to be more than that, then he can move up. Then he can be maybe a, all the way up to a number two type of starter, you know. But if he never develops that curveball, if the, the mechanical adjustments that he made this year never really help him develop that curveball and he never finds that release point, 
and it's just kind of spotty and he's just going with two pitches, he's either going to get converted to a reliever or, you know, he's going to be a number four to five type starter that he's been in terms of production. And I guess the Mariners believe that, you know, getting a shortstop that they could put at the top of their lineup, um, you know, kind of a plus offensive guy, um, outweighed the possibility of him just being a number five guy. And so that's kind of what they did. And don't don't leave out the, the concept of getting Mitch Hanniger in that trade. Jerry DePoto, I mean, you've seen the quotes. He has he loves him some Mitch Hanniger. He's probably going to be the starting right fielder. So that's kind of what uh, we're looking at. Maybe Mitch Hanniger is something more than people think, and it offsets that Walker trade a little bit more in terms of just a straight-up Segura for Walker. If Hanniger is something more, if Hanniger is Cole Calhoun, who DePoto compared him to when talking with him, then, yeah, then maybe that doesn't matter what Walker does. They won't regret it because they have a guy in the outfield that they, they can rely on for the next few years that they aren't really paying a ton of money. Uh, okay, let's go to we'll go to another one. Um, name redacted, solid name. Will Valencia Vogelbach be able to stay consistent hack it all season, or do they have a fallback scenario? Right now they have no fallback scenario. It's Dan Vogelbach. Danny Valencia, the Dans. Um, although Dan Vogelbach apparently appears to want to go by Danny. Um, maybe it's the Elton John song. I don't know. Um, behind those guys right now, you're looking at DJ Peterson. Um, we don't really know what he is. Um, and, and, and really nothing beyond that. I mean, Stephanie Romero is in Japan. Um, and... You know, I'm sure what they'll do is maybe bring in a veteran type of guy in a minor league deal just to push those guys, particularly if Vogelbach, you know, doesn't come back, report to camp the way they want, or if he struggles early in spring training, they may have to rethink it. I do think if they get into the season with these two guys and Vogelbach struggles early, they'll just play Valencia there more, you know, and then they've got some outfielders they can roll with and make Valencia almost a full-time first base guy and use Vogelbach in certain situations. I mean, I don't think they want to do that, but that would be kind of the fallback scenario. Um, if not, if neither guy works, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to go out and look at outside uh, avenues to, to kind of fill that spot. You know, they didn't really go get anybody in that regard. You know, Encarnacion wasn't a guy they were interested in. Napoli, they weren't going to give him more than a year. I mean, they, I kind of heard that in, in talking with some sources – they like Napoli. They like him for a year, plus maybe an option, but they weren't going to give him multiple years. And so now with Valencia, the, the need for Napoli maybe isn't as high. I mean, I think Napoli's still the better hitter, but they've got Valencia now, so I don't think they're going to make any moves beyond that. But it, it is curious to see what Dan Vogelbach will be like. I, that is going to be one thing I'm going to watch very closely this spring. Can he handle the defensive elements of first base? at least capably. He was kind of a mess at times last year. He did a lot of extra work at the end of the season. They expect him to do a lot of extra work now. Will he report in shape? Uh, they've asked him to trim down a little bit, but not only do that work to get his flexibility better, his footwork around first base. He's done a ton of footwork drills this year. His brother is a trainer. So I would think that, you know, if his brother is a trainer, I think he has an edge there to kind of get in some shape and come back and be what they want. But that's kind of where they're at right now. There is no, there is no parachute for them if these guys fail. They will be forced to go out and make a trade to address it if it doesn't work. Doug Smith, go Cougs Doug, asks, why does Jerry DePoto prefer trades to free agency? It requires losing talents and prospects. He says he values depth. Yes, he does value depth. But in DePoto's mind, depth for him is kind of the 40-man roster. You know, you're looking at depth as who can help you within the next few years. You know, obviously you like having the lower-level prospects and stuff, but, you know, when he speaks of depth, a lot of times he's talking about the 40-man and the immediate guys he could add to the 40-man if needed. Um, the reason he doesn't like free agency is just, I, I think, for him, a lot of times you're committing large sums of dollars, usually on an overpay, to players that are older and sometimes transitioning downward. I mean, that they're, they've, they've hit their peak, and you're essentially paying them 
a large amount of money for what they've accomplished, not what they're going to do or not what they're going to be going forward. So I think that's his his big concern with that. He doesn't like to do that. A lot of times if you look at the players he acquires, they're players that have club control. They're not making a lot of money. Some of them have minor league options. He wants that kind of stuff. That's the kind of depth he wants, specifically at the bottom half of your 40-man roster. Somebody like Taylor Motter that they get from the Rays, this guy, guy's got minor league options. He can play multiple positions. You know, Does he hurt you? Does he help you a ton? No, but he, he's a guy that can fill in if need to be. You know, as for the... As for the big free agents, something Larry and I will talk about in the uh, in our segment. But if the right free agents out there, I don't think he's afraid to spend money. I just don't think that you know some of the free agents that were out there fit what he really wanted to do. If you're going to commit, you know, a hundred million dollars to somebody, it, you better damn well know and like him and want him and know that he's going to be around and going to be a part of this. You know, people say, well, oh no, you know, he gave money to. Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton in, in Anaheim. Well, that's not necessarily the case. That was a lot of Artie Moreno telling him to get these deals done. And what Jerry saw is that you sign these massive deals, and then two years into it, your owner is is mad because these guys aren't aren't playing at that level, and he's already committed all this money, and he doesn't want to give any more. Well, I don't think he wants to saddle himself like that. The Mariners already have a lot of money committed to Felix Hernandez, Robinson Cano, and Kyle Seager somewhat lesser extent to Nelson Cruz over the next few years. And so, I mean, if he's going to commit some more dollars and take up a, you know, add to that small portion of people taking up a large bit of his payroll scenario, it's got to be somebody that he really wants and he knows it's going to help them in the right way. Mm. Kellen Martini asks, will Sean O'Malley make the 25-man roster out of spring training? I would say he has the inside track. It'll come down to him and Taylor Motter. But I do think O'Malley proved to manager Scott Service that he can handle all the aspects that he wants out of utility player, specifically playing shortstop at a decent level. I thought O'Malley was okay there. And I think Service was pleased with how he handled that. And Service loves how O'Malley approaches the game. I mean, the way he works kind of on the bases, you know, kind of the intensity he plays with. He's always prepared. He can play anywhere. Uh, I think Sean has the inside track over Taylor Motter, but, you know, something could change this spring. We'll go a couple more on the baseball side. We'll, let's see, Legion of Boom 7 asks, are they going to play billiards in the clubhouse this year? Well, Legion of Boom 7 is a guy that has railed about this subject often since the stories of the pool table came out this spring. Look, when I when somebody tweets to me and they've got Legion of Boom or Go Hawks or LOB or Hawk Lover, I don't know. You know, obviously they're a football fan, and sometimes they take the game of baseball and try and look at it through football, through a football face mask. And you know, I just it's not the same. And so with Legion of Boom seven or seventy seven or whatever, he was always felt like the players should be focused on this and working on that and getting ready for this and that. and um, You know, the, this should be all serious. It should be no fun and games in the clubhouse before, you know, in the hours leading up to a game. Well, look, players get to the field sometimes six and seven hours before a game. They're not going to just be wound up. And it's 162 games. Look, you're not slapping each other in the face and, putting on the war paint and beating your shoulders and headbutting before every baseball game. It just doesn't work like that. If you play like that, you're not going to make it. So it, the pool table is just something to bring some levity to the clubhouse. I don't know how much it really truly got used, but it was there. Um, but I'm sure I'll be asked about it some more from this guy. So that's my thoughts. We'll see. Any more baseball ones now? I'm tired of talking baseball. Let's go to the sort of baseball questions. Let's see here. Pat, Paul Lynch asks, do you ever just want to skip spring training? There are days, Paul. Yes, there are days. Look, spring training's long. I'm leaving on February 12th um, to go down to Arizona, and then with the Mariners starting on the road and uh, playing seven games, I believe, to start the season on the road, Houston and then and then Anaheim, I don't get back to Tacoma until April 12th. So February 12th to April 12th, I am away from home. Another reason why I 
my lifestyle is the way it is. Um, and so that part is a bit rough and cause it's just long, you know, it's about, you know, I'd say it's about 15 days too long. I mean, really it's for getting pitchers ready. The players don't need that much time. The players complain about not being there. And then like from the side now, like I just don't like getting up early. Like I get up every day about six, six thirty. Yes. I know a ton of people do that every day of their lives. I respect that. But I, you know, the way we work most of the time, we work late night and sleep in a little bit. So, you know, it just isn't enjoyable getting up. And then, you know, you're running, you're running 12 hour days because you go there at seven. And by the time the spring training games get done and get done right, it's about seven o'clock. Um, but look, we've seen the weather in Seattle this year. It's been one of the worst winters ever. I'll be happy to get some sun. I'll be happy there. But, yeah, there are days I want to just skip one day of spring training or two. And, you know, sometimes the times are really good about giving me days off. But uh, I would say – you sounded like Robin's going – I would say uh, – I am I would say that I'm getting ready for it to start now. Another week or so I'll probably be in the mode of kind of looking forward to it. And then about five weeks into it I'll be ready for it to be done. Speaking of spring training, Lindsay Zaborowski, uh, who I've met, is pretty cool – Met at Cooperstown, tweet with her off, and she asked my favorite places to eat in Peoria. Well, if you like chains, Lindsay, Peoria is the place for you. I mean, you name a chain restaurant, it's probably in Peoria. Now, I don't mind chain restaurants. Look, you know what you're going to get. You know, I, I mean, they have an In-N-Out right next to the stadium. They have Chick-fil-A right next to the stadium. I didn't gain 17 pounds my first year of covering string training by accident. So, you know, they're right there. There's a Rubio's fish tacos place, pretty decent fast food tacos place. Uh, but, you know, in terms of no chains or of like non-chain restaurants in Peoria, yeah, that's hard. Um, the Moon Saloon, it's a, it's a bar. It's a sports bar I go to. Like if we want to have a beer and watch a game or something late at night, they got good wings, kind of good bar food. I mean, I guess that's the – the best non-chain restaurant I go to. There's a Hawaiian grill place that I go to, too. I can't remember the name. It's by the Target. It's in a little um, it's a little strip mall. Well, everything in Arizona is in strip malls. But that's probably my other favorite uh, non-chain place. And then Dylan's Barbecue in Peoria. It's okay. I mean, I'd eat there. You know, it's barbecue. You know, it's tough to mess up barbecue, although some people can do it. Once you get out of Peoria, look, here, here's the list. Los Dos Molinos. Outstanding old school Mexican food. Go there. There's a couple different places, but you want to go to the one in Central Phoenix. It's a little rough area, but best place. Great margaritas. Richardson's, New Mexican style cuisine. Outstanding. Love it. If you can go to Scottsdale, you go to Don and Charlie's. The, the nostalgia alone, you'll probably see some players or managers in there, baseball people. That's always cool to go do. Um, I also like Culinary Dropout, uh, Barrio Cafe. Uh, gosh, there's so many. Uh, once you get on kind of the, the, the east side of the valley over there, there there's more local uh, cuisine that you can really eat up and, and enjoy. So that's my restaurant recommendation. All right, let's not mess around. Let's just get to the non-baseball stuff because that's, you know, that's really the interesting stuff. From eating the cow. Do you think people? Do you think how people approach a buffet reveals things about their personality? Yes, yes, it does. If you've never seen Larry Stone go to a buffet, you'd be quite terrified. No, I'm kidding. Uh, when I go to a buffet, I skip all vegetables, salad, anything resembling a vegetable, skip them. Go straight for the meats and the carbs, and anything that has gravy. So yeah, that's that's I guess that whatever that tells me about my personality is that I'm not a healthy person. Um, from Johnny Banana Seven, also known as Richard Burns, have you seen The Goonies? Well, Richard, I am of the age where I saw The Goonies. It was a seminal movie for me growing up. I was one of three or four Asian kids in Haver, Montana. I thought I was Data. Yes, I've seen The Goonies. I don't know about this remake of The Goonies. I'm not necessarily too excited about it. Um, Lucas B. Crowley asks, your favorite Tacoma eatery? It is the Peterson Brothers 1111. It's a dive bar in the hilltop on 111 11th Street, hence the name. 
they have old school like just the best sandwiches um grilled uh, my favorite is the bl tacoma bacon lettuce tomato avocado the spicy kind of mayonnaise and then cooked on a on grilled on a rye bread oh yeah it's, it's fantastic so that's probably my favorite i mean like i can go on for hours kent uh, or kyle from kent royals 5s are any new spots in tacoma you're excited about tried peaks and pints which is a peterson brothers creation it was pretty good there's a new beer and whiskey bar down on um the Rotterfront, that's supposedly pretty good. There's a tamales place that I'm kind of going to try. I like tamales, so hopefully I'll try that here in the next little bit. Um, Larry Fleischer asked both Tim Booth and I what our favorite Prozam song is. I think he's just asking me because I know Tim and I discussed it the last time. I'm not as diehard as Tim. Um, I like the standards a little bit more. I love Black. I love Better Man. I like the live versions. I have some recordings of that. So those are probably my two favorites out of all of them. Speaking of music, my buddy Pete Spear asks, what's your next show at the Tractor? Well, that would be Robert Earl Keane here in a few weeks. Uh, old school troubadour from country music, Texas area. I'm sure I'll see Pete there because he likes good music like that. Uh, Matthew Zimmer asks, when on road trips, what city do you like to visit most? What's your favorite food, to, food place to eat at any baseball city? San Diego is my favorite trip. It doesn't matter that the Padres stink. It doesn't matter that Petco doesn't have great ambiance. It's San Diego. You stay downtown. There's cool stuff right around there. They have the Tin Fish, which is a, a fish tacos place that I love to eat at before games right there. And, you know, the weather's great. It's, it's my favorite. I just like everything about it. It's really easy to deal with. You can walk to the park, all those things. I mean... You know, I, I have other aspects, almost every city I like other than Oakland. Actually, I, I, look, any trip that we go on, I could probably find something I like about each city. Uh, it's usually a food place of some sort. Um, but, you know, and, and I've actually kind of tried to plan out this little side blog where I'm going to post a bunch of stuff about places to eat and foods and cities and stuff. But if you ask me, I love San Diego. That's my favorite. Runner-up, possibly Denver. Of course, field area great place <clears throat> Brian Richmond asks if I like he's asking me if I like Sturgill Simpson's Better Modern Sounds of Country Music better or Sailor's Guide his new album I like the Meta Modern better um, that was my first foray into Sturgill Simpson who is outstanding I can't recommend him enough uh, the first five songs I can sit and listen to that album over and over and over again Although Sailor's Guide is also growing on me immensely. Uh, it's it's great music. I can't recommend enough. If you have Spotify, and you should have Spotify, please listen to both. Um, not Matt Carson's ass. How's your shoulder? Matt is a softball buddy of mine. He's asking about my injured left shoulder. Uh, it is torn, quite torn, Matt. 90% tear of the rotator cuff in my left shoulder with a massive bone spur. But surgery has been postponed because I'm afraid of the recovery. After having massive reconstruction on the right shoulder, I will not be doing left shoulder reconstruction anytime soon. And it also, having done surgery on my right shoulder, um, I have newfound respect for these guys and what they go through. Surgery isn't fun. It just isn't. And there's no such thing as minor surgery when it's on you. Uh, I had, you know, mine was supposed to be minor, and then it turned into major. But somebody coming back from some of the surgeries like that, you know, it's just not as simple as people make it think, especially if you've never had one before. Uh, we'll do two more, and then we'll wrap it up. Oh, beer choice. Uh, Paul McMillan, Vice of Arcadia 9, asks, beer choice. Always a good topic. I'm not a beer snob, per se. I'm not that guy that smells beers. I'm not that guy that swishes it around or, you know. Look, the best kind of beer is free beer and cold beer. So I will drink a Miller Lite or a Bud Light. No, I won't drink a Bud Light. But I'll drink a Miller Lite if there. I'll drink a PBR. I'll drink a can of Oli. If you put a can of Oli with a lime in it, it's called the Montana Corona. It's delicious. Um, I'll drink a Rainier. Uh, my favorite beer is probably the Bell Breaker Field 41 Pale Ale. That is my favorite. When I go 
to the Hooverville. That's kind of the bar we go to sometimes after Mariners games when we want to grab a beer to unwind. I always get a Feel 41. If I'm at a place and I'm ordering a beer, that's what I get. Obviously, I don't. I try not to drink a ton of beer because you know I get full easy, but that's what I go with. So I know everybody knows that I like Crown Royal, and I do, but I also like beer. And so if if you ever see me, that's what I'm drinking, or if it's there, uh, Feel 41 from Dale Breaker. And finally, we'll wrap it up with my friend Meg Rowley, who writes for, I, you know, I can't keep track of every place she writes for. Whatever she writes, it's really good. Lookout Landing, Baseball Perspectives. I think she did some stuff for ESPN. Um, Meg asks, how's the pup doing? Yes, if you've seen my avatar on Twitter, you'll know I have my yellow lab in the picture. He doesn't actually live with me, obviously, because of my travel schedule. He lives in Montana with my parents. His name is Yellow Dog. Yellow Dog is going on age 13 in April. He'll turn 13 in April. So at age 13 for a lab, yeah, not great in terms of life expectancy, probably six to eight more months. But, you know, he's healthy in terms of his mind. He's not blind or hard of hearing. He, he doesn't move a little slow, but you know what? I can't recommend getting a dog enough. He's the best companion in the world. And, you know, as soon as I give up covering baseball and start traveling all the time, I will have another lab. You can guarantee it. All right. That's enough of mailbag. I think rambled on long enough. All right, it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Spelling with Stoney. Now the last few weeks have been lead up to all of this. But now it's time to go. It's national championship time. It's Clemson versus Alabama. It's Larry versus the hardest name in all of baseball. Mark Zepchinski. I will use it in a sentence. The moment the Mariners signed Mark Zepchinski, I copied and pasted his name into a Word document and then added it to my dictionary. Mark Zepchinski. Are you ready? I can't even pronounce it, let alone spell it. You were so close. So close. You left out one letter. Can you guess the letter? Uh, I don't know. S? An S? No, you left out a C. It's R-Z-E-P-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. Zepchinski. I should get bonus points for being so close. No. Right now... If we were watching the real spelling bee, this is when that crazy, freaky homeschool kid is f- crying and running off the stage. And this is what you would be doing right now. Did you get Giovanni Gallardo right? See, that's the perfect segue into our next conversation. Giovanni Gallardo, the newest pitcher of the Mariners. So on Friday, when, I don't know, what, what were you doing on Friday? I uh, can't remember. I, oh, you know what? I took the week off. And oh. I was, uh, Columnist lifestyle. I was hanging out with my daughter who was home from college. And, uh, it was her last day before she went back on Saturday. So we were probably uh, going out to Red Rock. The, the the Larry Stone favorite. If you didn't know, Larry loves Red Robin. If he's in a state that he's never been to, and there, or a city he's never been to, and there's a Red Robin there, he will go there. So, um, yeah. So Friday, I'm in Denver right now as we record this, visiting my sister and my nieces. And so I was hanging out Friday and just thinking I was going to have kind of a similar day off. I was going to report a, record a podcast with just answering some questions and then. Jerry DePoto was Jerry DePoto, and he made two trades. You are... Yeah, you're ruining your vacation. Yeah, it wasn't really a vacation. You know I don't really take those. But So you got... Um, you wrote for Wednesday's paper. We're recording this Tuesday night. You wrote for Wednesday's paper. I read your column. 
edited a bunch of mistakes and misspellings and you know, just muddled thinking. I did get um, in there, by the way. Yes, you did. Yeah, I can see. So, uh, kind of enlighten the folks on your thoughts with with the column you've written. Well, both the moves, the, the Jared Dyson move and the Gallardo move. I mean, they're they're not they're not game changers or anything like that, but they're moves that could you know advance the team forward if they work out. There, there's a little bit of risk involved, particularly with Gallardo. He was a really good pitcher for many many years. Brewers, but uh, you know, he's coming off a really bad year where his velocity dropped kind of alarmingly. He had some shoulder issues. He had an ERA five. Um, he just wasn't very good. The Mariners are counting on uh, a, a comeback, a revival of him. I think the other move of getting Dyson, I think, was, was designed to strengthen the outfield defense, obviously, to, to help guys like Guy some pitching issues, the best thing to do is to, to tighten your defense and strengthen your bullpen. You know, I think that's what DePoto was trying to do. They've got three center fielders now in the outfield, Dyson, Haniger, Leonis Martin. Uh, so it's going to be a really good defensive outfield, but, you know, there's still some questions about, I still have questions about the two rookies that are going to get prominent roles, Vogelbach and Haniger. Uh, still some quite a real, real serious questions Is he going to come back? Can, can he Lakuma hold up? You know, can Paxton do it for a full year? Can Gallardo rebound? And then who might be the fifth star? You know, I, I suspect it will be Miranda, but he, can he do it for the full year? So, you know, there's really not even – Felix used to be the one sure thing that you could build around, but now Felix has questions surrounding him. So, so that's a little bit of a danger area, but you, you did have to get a, a veteran arm in there. I don't think he's probably done yet. And, you know, Gallardo – yeah, DePoto loves three-year splits. And, you know, two years ago he was really good with Texas, and that's why he got a qualifying offer. And, and, and I think the Mariners might have looked at him that year uh, had he not had a qualifying offer. But I, I, I guess first you just kind of look at what they gave up. Uh, look, essentially if you look at it this way, with the two trades, you traded, you traded Seth Smith for Gerard Dyson and you traded – Nathan Carnes for Giovanni Gallardo, if you look at it that way, in the simplest of terms. You made two trades. Carnes uh, is somebody that they loved. I mean, you, you know, you were around Scott Service and DePoto uh, before spring training last year. On the record, off the record, they loved Nathan Carnes. And it took about two months of Nathan Carnes never being able to get past the fifth inning, going full count on every batter. Oh, my God. And, and they just were done. And then I think – what frustrated them a lot is when they moved him to the bullpen, they thought he would really embrace that and kind of try and follow the Wade Davis route is what they were trying to sell him on. And he didn't. He kind of pouted. He just wasn't really into it. He never embraced it, and he wasn't very good, and then he got hurt. And I think, you know, just kind of that whole culmination, he fell out of favor with them really quickly, and they were willing to look to move on. I mean, that was the whole reason of wanting to bring in more guys. They wanted to push him a little bit because I think they felt like, Maybe Nate had a, an inflated sense of where he was supposed to be. So I, I don't think it's a huge loss. Do you? No, not really. I mean, he does have more control. You know, he has a few years of, of club control, and he's got potential. And guys like that moving up can always figure it out. So there's, there's a certain amount of risk involved, just like there was with, with Taiwan Walker with the Bura trade. You know, if it ever clicks with Taiwan, uh, he could really haunt them. I don't think Carnes is in a position to haunt them as much, but you just never know. He's still young. Uh, I'd still take a third way to write him off, but uh, you know, I just got the impression, like you said, that he had definitely fallen out of favor, and it didn't take that long, and he wasn't probably going to be in the mix for next year anyway, it didn't look like. I don't think they wanted no. him to be, so as long as he wasn't going to be in the mix, you might as well go for a guy who's been proven, who's won at the major league level, who's been an all-star, you know, who's, who's down a little. Uh, that's another thing that it, seems like DePoto likes guys with track records who are down, they, they buy low and count on a rebound, and he had a few of those. So, and it's a risk. Uh, you know, Seth Smith is a guy who, you know, he has a lot of attributes that they like, uh, but he's getting up there in years, he 
Yeah, you know, and, and last year they hit a bunch of homers, and they were they were kind of one dimensional at times. You saw it as well. Like when they didn't hit home runs, they struggled to score runs. They weren't very good at creating runs. They struck out a little bit too much, and they were a horrible base running team. I mean, they're just awful, you know. And so, I look. Seth Smith is is a nice player, and you're right. He doesn't fit their mold. The only way, thing that they really loved about him was the at bats and kind of how he carried himself in the clubhouse. He's a pro, you know. He just handles his business and he puts together a good at bat. But you know, this is a part time player as well. He did not play against lefties. You know, he is a defensive liability. And he was making $7 million, and the whole purpose of them to really even, uh, you know, exercise the option for this year was to trade him. And, uh, you know, what they what we've kind of found out now is that the Orioles not only in this trade are sending $2 million to the Mariners, but that, you know, another million dollars of what is owed for, for Gallardo this year is being defrayed till 2020. So essentially... In the money exchange, the Mariners are basically giving up a million dollars for all these players. So it's it's not killing them financially because initially, with Gallardo being owed about eleven, you thought, man, that's four million dollars you're picking up for a guy that hasn't been very good. But it, the money thing seems to have worked out and evened itself out. So I, I think it's okay. I mean, I, I'm like you. I'm, I'm a little skeptical. You know, they've they've really well. They pumped up Ben Gamble as their left fielder for about a month and a half, and then, you know. But I do think they really want Mitch Haniger to be their right fielder, at least for the time being. But, you know, I was kind of thinking about this day. What if, what if you get to spring training and, and, and Haniger looks terrible and Vogelbach looks terrible? I mean, what do you do then? I mean, that's. I mean, I, I, you can play Valencia at first most days, but if Haniger looks bad, they don't really have anybody. You know, that's that's one thing that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I'm- No, he looks like he, you know who he reminds me of? It reminds me of seeing Jesus Montero for the first time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. When, uh, all I knew about Montero was what I read and the guys I talked to and the baseball American guys played them. And then I remember, I still remember the first time I saw him and I was asking, Jesus Montero? Because he was, you know, he was so unathletic. <laughs> he even walked unathletically. It was amazing. You never know. I mean, maybe maybe they do something crazy and bring in a guy on a minor league deal just in case to hedge their bets. I, I, I don't know. I mean, 
mean, it sounds like Justin Morneau might sign a minor league deal. Somebody, I, I, I have, it's, it's a weird scenario. I mean, you're putting a lot of faith in rookies when you have this kind of core group. I think they feel like the core group is going to carry everything, and so they can withstand that. But, you know, I mean, for how long? The one thing is, and, and, and you know, people talk about money and, and budgets and everything, and, and um, you know, I think they're, you know, kind of checking. They're right about 160 maybe right now, 160 million. You, you got to leave yourself money in case you do have to make a move out of necessity, injury, or whatever. You know, I mean, it, it, maybe they have to make a midseason move if, if those guys aren't playing well and they're still kind of in the middle of it. You got to give yourself some financial flexibility. But yeah, I, I don't know. And then, you know, people are very upset about the pitching thing. And, and I get that, you know, the, the problem was, and, and we've talked about this before, there, there's just no way they were going to be able to go out and trade for Jose Quintana. And, I mean, they barely had enough guys. They didn't have enough to trade for Drew Smiley. I mean, yeah. think about that. You, you know, you, you can't you can't give up everybody. Or you're not giving up Tyler O'Neill for Drew Smiley. You're just not doing that. Yeah, Kyle Lewis, yeah. Kyle Lewis, yeah. The center fielder uh, who was tearing up Everett and blew out his knee and probably set him back a year or more. I mean, he was on the fast track. He was exactly the kind of guy that they wanted to build around. He fit their mold perfectly. And, you know, he's not done, but the development, you can't miss a full year of time and, and just come right back like you were. It's going to take some time to get back in the groove. So that's that was a really damaging blow, but, uh, you know, if they have some good drafts now, a lot of trades, and getting back my league talent, they could replenish the, the stock, but uh, you're absolutely right. Quintana trade, it's just, it's hard to imagine how it would happen unless you gave up every prospect, you know, that you had, uh, and I just don't see them wanting to do that. Yeah, you, you saw where, what they were asking for the Astros, which was like, you know the Musgrave kid was a, is a major league pitcher, and and they were asking for the next four guys after that. I mean, that's the Mariners don't even have four guys at that level, you know, and that's what hurts them. You know, had they, you know, if they had more pitching depth, you know, you could have traded Taiwan then and, and for that, but they needed Segura. I mean, that, that that's kind of the problem is that the deficiencies on the roster were such that even they had to use a few prospects to get that guy, and then you don't have anything else. You need like good teams that are giving up somebody like Quintana. You need like the prospect, you need another prospect that's a triple A ready to contribute and then three younger guys that are kind of ones a mid-level, maybe double A ready to be there and then two really low guys but are supremely talented. The Bears don't have that. I mean, and if they did it would just crush them going forward. You know, Taiwan was the one chip that they had to play. He's a guy you know, that every team was wanted in a big trade and Yeah. Uh, and so, and the Dodgers, uh, you know, they're, they've, they've been hard at it, I'm sure. Uh, Mariners can't yet, yet play in that, can't play that game yet. And when the 
And when that happens, then you, you, you step forward and you just know that, that things are, are going a lot better for them. I beat up the Mariners more. I mean, look, they have money. I, you know, they're at 116. I'm, I'm not going to bleat about payroll, and I'm not that guy that says you, money is going to fix everything. Uh, they have money. The problem is, is if you look at the free agent market for pitching, which they really need, it was just awful. I mean, especially when Strasburg re-upped early, then you don't have that guy. I mean, there wasn't that ace on the market. There wasn't even that mid-level ace, you know, like a number two, like a Jordan Zimmerman wasn't on the market. You know, because if, if, if somebody like Jordan Zimmerman was on the market and now he got hurt or anything, but one of those guys, I would have said, look, you know what? You don't know what Felix Hernandez is going to be, and you don't. You only have these this group of guys together. Go out and spend 120 million and get a pitcher that you think can can come in here for five years and do it. But they don't have that. You know, they just there wasn't that guy available. And I wonder, you know, they didn't do it last year when there were a few more arms available. I wonder if maybe that also that ownership transfer didn't play into that a little bit. I mean, they they've spent a lot of money the last few years on free agents. You know, with Cano and Cruz and everything, and giving Seager the uh, extension. But I I don't know. If that played into it, they, that's why they didn't do it. I know Jerry is a little wary of, of pulling the big free agent guy because he got bit in the ass, frankly, by by Pujols and Hamilton, which weren't his decisions. But still, you know, his owner forced him and then got mad about the money given when they didn't play well. So I don't I don't know where they're at, but I, I would be I'd be far more critical of them if there was that big name a bigger name free agent pitcher on the market. Instead, it's the Jason Hamels of the world, and do you really want to give forty million or fifty million to that guy? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think a big mistake teams make is you take the best guy in the market, pay him like a superstar when he's not, and that can hamstring you. You know, I think it's smart not to, to not to have done that. You know, you, you can only you only have the free agents that are there. You, can't turn a guy into an ace who's not an ace. Well, well, did that when we were yeah. with Carlos Silva. Remember, he gave him forty-eight million. You know, and 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 they, well, and you know that that haunts you. You know, they, I mean, they they got lucky that they didn't give a hundred and what sixty million to Barry Zito, or would they want to give a bunch of money to Jason Schmidt, um, the other Adam Eaton? They they were all in on those guys and didn't get them. I mean, those would have been, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Prince Fielder. Mm-hmm. Many times where the new owner is just itching to show the fans that he's going to be different and they're committed. You know, I was covering the Giants way, way back when, in 93, when Peter McGowan took over from Bob Lurie and just stunned the world by paying an exorbitant amount, which isn't so exorbitant now, but it was then. I think it was $43 million for, for Barry Bonds. And nobody thought that worked out okay. But he wanted to show that just wasn't the year to do that, really. You know, they, you know, they made they made that huge impact with with Cano that no one saw coming, two hundred and fifty million. Um, but there wasn't anyone like that this year. Um, maybe you know, I think the class is a little bit better next year than the year after. But uh, the other phenomenon that's happening is that teams are, you know, the, the money's rolling into the extent now that teams are locking up their super before they ever hit the market. So, you know, there's you know, Strasburg being one example, and there's a million others. And so I think that's going to be a trend where, you know, you're going to have guys like Harper who wants to, you know, wants to have the big strike of all time. But I think a lot of the, the superstars and stars are going to be, are never going to hit the free agent market. Yeah, Corey Seager is never going to be the free a free agent market. The Dodgers are going to wisely sign him, lock him up. Same with Mike Trout. I mean, Mike Trout's going to eventually be there, but you know these teams are being smarter that way. And I think we've noticed too that the free agent market hasn't been exactly fruitful for some of these guys. I mean, look at these these sluggers with the the you know Mark Trumbo still out there. Edwin Encarnacion didn't get quite what he thought he was going to get. You know, I mean these guys aren't getting as much as they thought they were either. It's it's a weird thing now. I, I don't. I, I think GMs are getting a little bit smarter about it, but then again, you know, two weeks from now when, when they start looking at their rosters and seeing, man, we need this, we need that, that's when somebody might do something kind of goofy too. 
chicken now, and some of those stars, are gonna, their price is going to go down. We've seen it happen with Nelson Cruz uh, with the Orioles a couple of years ago. I wonder, I think, I think if, if, and I don't, Batista's awful in the outfield. He, he is, and, you know, he's not, you know, he's more of a DH and he's injury prone. You know, but if, if there was a situation where you had just the one year, if you could get a one-year show-me deal, maybe the Mariners would be more interested. But he wants multiple years, you know, and that that's different. I mean, you know, you got to give up a draft pick and then give multiple-year commitment. I just don't think that they would do that. No, that's like, as Japoto pointed out one time, he just said, look, you take a guy with a qualifying offer, it's like not only are you giving massive level money, but then you're also giving up, you know, your uh, your top draft pick. And, and so that's that's also, ostensibly, if you believe you're doing it right, that's one of your ten best prospects. You're giving up an upper-level prospect plus playing all the money. He goes, that's a losing trade every time. You know, so I... I All right, well, I know you have to go. Larry's cheating on us and going on the big time with the Hot Stove League on 710, so I'll let you go. But I appreciate you coming on, and everybody read his column. Uh, you know, it's good stuff. I, you know, I feel like I helped it. No, I'm just kidding. But read his stuff, and then we'll have him on next week. I'll take submissions for names that Larry has to spell as well. Are we going to branch outside the Mariners next time? Yeah, I might go back and, you know, back in the old days in the 60s and find some guys. In your wheelhouse. Yes. All right. I'll let you roll. Thank you. podcast thing out a little bit each week uh, hopefully we get these phone call things figured out as well big thanks to Larry Stone for coming on and talking about the trade in his column thanks to everybody who uh, sent me questions via Twitter thanks to Midnight Salvage Company the official band of the Extra Innings podcast still waiting for somebody to send me some music if they want me to play it for some lead in stuff uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Divish or email me at rdivish at seattletimes.com. And thanks again for listening.